This is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you to the Life Fellowship Podcast. I know that the trials of each of you experience can often feel overwhelming, and at those times, the enemy tries to bring discouragement into your life. Remember that in John 16, Jesus tells us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Today, as you listen, I pray that God's word ministers to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit deposits joy and peace into your situation. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. They didn't tell anybody I was preaching so that you would show up. (laughs) Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles, please. Acts the ninth chapter. While you're either turning there in your hard copy or in your, through your digital device, let me say just a couple of things. Number one, it is a privilege and honor to have my presbyter, Roger Lewis, and his wife, Debbie, that Pastor recognized just a few moments ago. He's a good friend of mine. We play golf together often, and uh, he himself is a powerful Pentecostal preacher and a great leader in our fellowship. And it's amazing Um, You know, I carry an Assemblies of God credential. This is a Church of God church. Dr. Hill, your general overseer, has become a very close friend of mine. As a matter of fact, we spoke two or three times this last week. It's amazing how small the world really is. There are many relationships and connections between these two great Pentecostal fellowships. And uh, when we get to heaven... We won't be wearing the label Assemblies of God or Church of God or Baptist or we're all going to be there because we're brothers and sisters and members of the universal body of Christ. Number two, I want to say it's good to have my mom and dad with me. They came in this weekend and uh, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to preach close to home. The most difficult thing that I do in 40, 45 engagements a year is 75, 80% of the services that I'm in, I do not have the privilege of being in church with my family. And that is, that's difficult. I don't mind telling you. Oftentimes I look at what I do. The greatest sacrifice I think that an itinerant minister makes is not being in church with their wife or their husband and their children. And I thank you, Pastor, for inviting me today. I appreciate Pastor. And the final thing that I want to say is that Pastor and his wife have done a phenomenal job in transitioning into the leadership of Life Fellowship. Don't you believe that? They've done a phenomenal job transitioning into the leadership of this church. Acts chapter 9. I want to begin reading with the 10th verse. Acts 9 verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. He said, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man 
how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel to me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way that you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight and arose and was baptized. Now I want to preach and teach for a few moments this morning on this subject, navigating the realm of risk. Navigating the realm of risk. Uh, let me say to you, I, this is not going to be necessarily a, a, a camp meeting style message. I just want to be as transparent as I can because I personally am walking through this particular subject matter, I personally, in both my ministry and in my personal devotion to our Lord, am trying to understand what is it that God requires of me. Navigating the realm of risk. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we need you today. I pray, Lord, again for an unction, for an ability from heaven to fulfill this evangelistic office that you sovereignly chose me to occupy. I pray, Lord, for a captivation to settle in over the crowd today, that everything that would attempt to distract and to pull their attention away from what the Spirit is saying would now cease in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that in the conclusion of this message, that men and women would step forward into this altar, step forward into the realm of risk, step forward into the realm of the unknown, step out of safety, and step into the realm of the supernatural. And I'll ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Some time ago in my personal devotion, I'm not sure exactly when, seven, eight, nine months ago. The Lord spoke something into my spirit that I have not been able to shake. I'm not the type of person that reads large portions of Scripture every day. I'm not opposed to that. It's just not the way that I study the Word of God. Oftentimes, I will take a small portion of scripture, a verse, a handful of verses, and I will just meditate on those verses for days, weeks, months on end. Tasha can attest to that fact. And the Lord spoke this to me. He said, I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. And that verbiage has rolled over and over and over and over in my mind. And I am attempting to grasp it. I am attempting to understand it. I am attempting to interpret what exactly does God 
want or require from me. But I believe it's more than just a personal challenge to this evangelist. I believe it's a corporate challenge to the church. I believe that God is asking each and every one of you as individuals and as a corporate unified body, risk more for the sake of the kingdom. Now understand something with me and I parse my words carefully. Safety and the realm thereof is in opposition to the unfettered flow of the supernatural. We have dwelt in the realm of safety for far too long. And I'll put myself at the front of the line. So as I've been meditating on exactly what that means, to, to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. For some, that means that God is asking of you to become more bold in your personal witness. It would be real risky for some of you to open your mouth and testify of the Christian faith to a lost family member, to a lost co-worker, to a lost classmate. But I believe the Lord is challenging you, take the risk. For some of us, it might be in the financial, fiscal realm. For some of you, writing a check, writing a check to financially support the work of God would be really risky. For others, writing the check might not be the risk, but it's now, now stay with me, amen, right here. But adding a zero to the check that you write would be a risk. Come on, and preach. Come on, saints. There are all types of things that you and I can be engaged in that would be classified as risky or dangerous. And then this passage, I've never preached from this particular passage. I'd never thought to preach from this particular passage. But this passage one day, it, it just captured my attention. And the Lord began to clarify some of the requests that he had made to me concerning risk through the historical account of this man named Ananias. Now let me say early on in this message that the Bible says precious little about this man. There are only a handful of verses here in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And then if my mind serves me correct, there are five or six verses in the 22nd chapter, I believe, of the book of Acts where Paul is giving his personal testimony. He's giving the account of what happened here in Acts 9. And he gives a little more light to the man named Ananias. And I want you to see, I think I've got ten things here that they're going to put up on the overhead. And I'm not going to preach long. We're going to try to have an extended altar call today and believe that, that people are going to step out of the realm of safety into the realm of the supernatural. But the first thing that I want you to see with me this morning and write these down, type these into your smart device, I encourage you to go home and meditate on these things. But if you and I are going to successfully navigate the realm of risk, number one, we've got to depart from the safety of our routine. Come on, that's good. We've got to depart from the safety of our routine. Can I tell you that you and I, as people of God, so readily return to our routine? And why do we readily return to our routine? Two reasons, I believe. 
Number one, each and every one of us by nature resist change. We just naturally resist change. No matter if you're old or young, no matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white, no matter if you're male or female, nobody likes change. We love routine. The story is told, I may have shared it here before, but I think it's the most excellent illustration concerning resisting change that I've ever heard. A man turned 100 years of age. At that century mark, a local newspaper reporter went out to document the 100 years of this man's life. The newspaper reporter sat across the table from this man and said, Sir, I can only imagine how many changes you have been personal witness to in 100 years of living. And that elderly gentleman responded to the interviewer and said, Yes, and I want to go down on record in this newspaper article that I was against each and every one of them. That's us. We resist change. Number two, we so readily return to routine not only because we resist change, but we relish our comfort. We love our comfort zone. Come on, saints. We love it. I'm talking about the corporate body of Christ. We love comfort. We resist change. We love comfort. And I find it interesting. I have found this so challenging even in my own ministry. I find it interesting that we, whether it be Assemblies of God, Church of God, 101 other different Pentecostal stripes, that in times past we would point our fingers at our evangelical brethren and we would oftentimes joke and poke fun at, at, their, at their ability to, to, to chart their services down to a T. I mean, they pass out the little, the little flyer at the door, and it tells you at 11 o'clock the service will begin, and at 11.02 we will sing this hymn from this page, and at 11.03 we will sing this chorus, and at 11.05 the pastor will take the pulpit and preach this message, and we used to mock and jeer, but can I tell you we Pentecostals are guilty of the same. Y'all shout with me right there. Can I tell you that in 20 years of full-time evangelistic service, preaching all around this nation, churches that run dozens, churches that run hundreds, churches that run thousands, I have found the general rule of thumb to be that I can predict what's going to happen in the average Pentecostal church from my hotel room before I ever get to the service. I can tell you we're going to sing like this, we're going to pray like this, we're going to give like this, they're going to preach like this, we're going to have an altar call like this, and then we're all going to go home. And isn't it interesting that we preachers, preachers hear me today, I'm not here to cast stones, I'm telling you I'm at the front of the line accepting this challenge. Isn't it interesting that week after week after week after week after week after week we stand up and preach to our people that we serve a God that can do anything, but it's odd that every week he keeps doing the same thing. Come on. We say he can do anything. But he's been confined to doing the same thing in our midst. And if we're going to step out and begin to encounter the supernatural flow of God's Spirit, we've got to recognize the only way to do that is to depart from the the harbor or the port of routine and set sail on the unknown (laughs) navigation. 
waters of risk. So we got to depart from our routine. Number two, we've got to recognize that God wants to reveal himself to us and through us. He wants to reveal himself to us and through us. Notice what the 10th verse of this ninth chapter says. And I'm just going to work you right through the text. All of this is in the text, okay? Notice the Bible says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord, now highlight this, in a vision. Number one, the number one way that God wants to reveal himself to us and through us is through the pages of his word. This is the number one revelatory tool of the divine. God will. Re- you want to know something about God? Study this book. I said, you want to know something about God? You want God to reveal himself to you? Study this book. This is the number one way. Not going to stay there long. Number one way. Number two, not only does God want to reveal himself through the record of the sacred text, but God wants to reveal himself to you and through you by the supernatural operation of his spirit. I still believe the God we serve is supernatural. I said, I still believe the God we serve is supernatural. I still believe in the power of Pentecost. I still believe in the miraculous. I still believe in divine interruption. I still believe that the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God wants to reveal himself through supernatural means. God did not reveal himself to Ananias through the written word, but rather verse 10 says that God visited him in a vision supernaturally so God wants to reveal himself to us and through us and let's study this divine revelation of the Lord as it comes to Ananias Uh, notice again in verse 10 man this this point right here will preach all in and of itself notice verse 10 and there was a certain disciple highlight that in your Bible there is a certain disciple at Damascus now I find this to be extremely intriguing Because if you study what's going on here contextually, what's going on in the early portion of the ninth chapter of the book of Acts? Here's what's going on. There's a man by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul has become the leading persecutor of the infant New Testament church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saul has overseen the first first killing, the first murder, the first martyr, a man by the name of Stephen. Now Saul is acquiring warrants from the powers that be so that he can arrest any Christian that he finds anywhere. Now, I am of the personal belief that if God himself had not divinely intervened in this ninth chapter, hear what I'm saying, if God had not intervened himself to put a halt to Saul, I believe Saul may well have wiped Christianity off the face of the planet. I believe he was fully capable of doing so. I believe that was his intention. But here in the early verses of the ninth chapter, God does what? He supernaturally steps in. He slaps Saul down off of his beast of burden and blinds him and begins to have a conversation with him. And the conversation goes something like this. Saul, Saul, why are you causing me so much trouble? 
Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response is, who are you? Who's talking to me? And the voice returned, I am Jesus, the one that you persecute, the one that you hate, the one you have so much angst against. And yet we're going to read throughout the remainder of the canon of Scripture, the remainder of the Bible, that after this man's conversion, now stay with me, after this man's conversion, he's going to write approximately half of the New Testament. He's going to write almost half the New Testament. In his writings, he's going to unveil for the readers and the churches that these letters went to the intricate meaning of the New Covenant. What it meant for Jesus to die on the cross and be resurrected three days later. He's going to have that revelation and give it in writing half the New Testament. This man has, this man has such a place in Scripture that it beggars description. And here we're, we are reading the record of his conversion, of this supernatural account. And I find it interesting that God picks a certain disciple whom the Bible says virtually nothing about. A man by the name of Ananias. You see, if I had been the Lord, this would have read radically different. If I had been the Lord, number one, if I had been the Lord... I'm not sure what I would have done with this man. But, but, but number two, if I were going to send someone to pray for the man that was going to write half of my New Testament, that was going to unveil the meaning of my, my vicarious, atoning, replacement death on the cross, I would have sent... Listen, I think this is just logical. This is the way I meditate and think on passages, okay? I think this is just logical. I think you would have done what I would have done. I would have sent three people to pray for him, Peter, James, and John. I would have said, to handle this guy, it needs to be three on one. And I'm going to send Peter, James, and John. That's just logical to me. I'm going to send my inner circle. I'm going to send my closest comrades. I'm going to send my most trusted confidants to pray for this heathen named Saul. That's what I would have done. But God doesn't do that. Why doesn't God do that? Because his ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. We don't think like God. Come on, saints. We don't think like God. And rather than sending this tremendous trio, rather than sending the, these, these cornerstones of the church, he sends an unknown commodity named Ananias. Why is that? Because I believe God is communicating something to us about the realm of risk and the supernatural realm. God wants you and I to recognize that he wants to use regular people just like you to do supernatural things. Hallelujah. God wants you to recognize he wants to use regular people. Come on, saints. I mean, we have developed, even in the Pentecostal realm, this, this ecclesiastical uh, exclusion. Thank God for the call that I have on my life. Thank God for the call that he has on his life. Thank God for the call Brother Roger has. All of us in full-time ministry. But understand something. God does not want to simply move in supernatural ways through the lives of those that are in full-time ministry. God wants to use regular people, just like these young people, just like you. God wants to reveal himself through regular people. Regular people. Ananias was a regular guy. 
of whom the Bible says very little. So notice, we depart from the realm of routine. We realize that God is trying to reveal himself to us and through us. We see that God wants to use regular people. But now notice this as well in verse 10. There must be a readiness in regular people to respond. If you're going to operate in the supernatural, there must be a readiness. Let me show you a dichotomy here in the text that I find interesting. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, again, speaking about this radical happening in the life of Saul. The Lord speaks to him in the mid-portion of verse 4, and this is what God says. Saul! Saul! He, he speaks his name twice. But in the first verse of our chief text, notice the dichotomy. Notice the difference. When he calls for Ananias, he only says his name once. Why? That little boy of mine that's sitting with my parents, not paying attention to anything his father's saying, is looking at his grandmother right now. Addison May that's in that children's church, can I tell you there are times when I speak to them like the Lord spoke to Saul. This, this is the way I speak. I say, Addison, Addison. Do you know why I call her name twice? Because she's not in a position of hearing me if I call it once. She's not ready to hear. She's not ready to listen. And because she's not ready to hear or listen, she can't respond to my request. Why did God call Saul's name twice? Because Saul was not in a position to hear. Come on. He wasn't ready to listen. But notice the difference between Saul and Ananias. When God was ready for Ananias to move, he just simply said, Ananias. And what does the Bible say? He said, Behold, here I am, Lord. He was ready. I said he was ready. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to operate in the realm of the supernatural, the Bible says this. You must have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. You will never be able to respond in the supernatural realm until you have an ear that is hearing, until you are ready to listen. Let me show you something in John chapter 20 quickly, if I might. Look there with me. Just a, just a few chapters back. This is, this is powerful stuff, I think. John 20, verse 11. This is post-resurrection, after Jesus has been crucified and now resurrected three days later. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and sees two angels in white, one seated at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laid. And they said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting? She's looking at the one that she's seeking and recognizes him not in appearance. Hear me. At times, the Lord is at work in our midst. At times, the supernatural is in our midst, but we don't recognize it by sight. Sight is one of the greatest deceptions in the life of a believer because we live by natural sight and not by spiritual sight. She doesn't see the Lord. Why? Because she's in a state of unbelief. But notice what changes all of that here momentarily. 
She, she knows not that it's Jesus. Jesus says unto her in verse 15, Why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have taken him somewhere, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. One time. I said one time. She doesn't have a clue where he's at. She is in a, in a world consumed with darkness and depression and despondency. And he, all he has to do is speak her name, want Mary. And what'd she do? The Bible says she whirled around and said, Master, teacher, Rabboni, Christ, I know who you are now. We've got to get our ear in tune with God to such a degree that when the Lord calls us by name, we're ready to respond. To whatever his divine request of us is. We've got to be willing to respond. Now notice this as we go further in the text. Notice this in the 11th and 12th verse. <clears throat> Not only is God getting ready. As he's beckoning us to the realm of risk. To give supernatural revelation. But now I'm going to give you something here that doesn't always fly in Pentecostal circles. But I'm going to give you a charge and an empowerment to reject any revelation that is uncooperated. Reject any revelation that is uncooperated. What do you mean by that? I mean, if, if, if someone comes to, to, to you with a word, a word, a request, God saying something, and that has not already been deposited in your spirit, reject it. I wish I had time to really preach this at length. I mean, this is a series of sermons. L let me go back to the authority of the Word. If you ever receive a divine revelation, a divine request, if you ever sense that a spirit, and you're thinking maybe this is God's spirit requesting something of me, if it ever violates this Word, reject it. It's not God. God will never ask you to do, God's spirit will never ask you to do something that's not cooperated by His Word, never. And if it's not already been something that you've been dealt with about, look at verse 11 and 12. The Lord says to Ananias, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and ask about Saul. For there, behold, he prays and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Now get this. God is speaking how to Ananias in a vision, supernaturally. And now God is revealing in this supernatural vision to Ananias that there's a man named Saul who is seeing how? In a vision, supernaturally. Now there's your another sermon altogether. You got a blind man that sees. You got a blind man that's seeing, the same chapter says. And he sees in a vision a man by the name of Ananias coming to lay his hands on him. So you see the Lord is working supernaturally, but the Lord's working on both sides of the equation. He's talking to Ananias and he's talking to Saul. And if God is going to operate supernaturally, he will always do so on both sides of the equation. At the Acts 6-4 conference that pastor attends, I oftentimes tell the attendees from all around the country, I said, we release you. We release you to speak words of wisdom, words of knowledge. We release you to prophesy. We release you to operate in the supernatural. If you feel like you've got a word for someone from God, go to them and release that word. But then I also say, but I release those of you that are receiving a word to reject it if it doesn't bear witness. Yeah, that's right. 
Reject any uncooperated revelation. All right? Now notice, because this is really going to get interesting here for the next few moments. Notice this. Immediately in verses 13 and 14, what does Ananias do? In response to this risky request from the Lord. It's a risky request. You do get that. I mean, this is pregnant with danger. So much so that notice what happens in verse 13 and 14. Immediately Ananias engages this request with reason. He begins to use logic. He begins to use human reason against this divine request. (laughs) Uh, This is what he says. He says, Lord, I have heard about this man. (laughs) Y'all don't get that. This man's the lead persecutor of the church. This man has overseen the martyrdom of Stephen. This man is murdering Christians, incarcerating them left and right. And the Lord says, hey, I want you to go into the presence of this man. And Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about this guy. Come on, saints. Before I go there, let me just say this. We got a lot of super spiritual people in the Pentecostal ranks. That, that, that are hyper-faith, mega-faith mentality, and they will say things like this. If God, the Holy Spirit, ever asks you to do something, don't question it, just execute and do it. You know what that tells me about a person that makes such a proclamation? It tells me one thing. God has never asked them to do anything. Come on. Nothing. Right. Not one time. Because if God ever asks you to do something, if God ever asks you to step out on the, on the uncharted waters of risk, you're going to be like Ananias. You're going to step back from it and say, now wait a minute, is this God? Is this really you, Lord? This is counterintuitive. This goes against everything that common sense is teaching me. Ananias says, I've heard about this man. I know what he's done to the saints at Jerusalem. And I know that he's got warrants to arrest anybody that he finds here. Come on, saints, let's don't be too super spiritual. I believe Ananias may have even said to the Lord, Lord, it it seems more logical to me. Let's just leave him blind. Come on. I mean, you got him right where you want him, God. Let's just keep him there. And we use reason against the divine request. Many would believe that that's a state of unbelief or that's a state of of lacking faith. No, no, no. God gave you a brain. My Lord, saints, engage it. I said engage it. Some of the most spiritual things that I can give you, use your common sense. A lot of things have been done in the name of the Lord or in the name of Pentecost that were foolishness. God never instructed anybody to do those things. And they could have saved themselves embarrassment and the church shame and reproach on its testimony if they had simply used their common sense first. And we weigh it. We weigh it. God, is this you? God, is this what you're telling me to do? Is this what you're asking me to do? Do you really want me to add a zero to the check? Do you really want me to save to my unsaved employer? Do you really want me, Lord, to start this new business venture? Lord, is this really you? 
And here's the litmus test. When God beckons you on to the waters of the realm of risk, and you're weighing it against your reason, here's the litmus test. You'll always know that it's God when the request is repeated. Notice the text. He says, Lord, I'm not sure, in verse 13 and 14, are you really certain this is what you want me to do? Verse 15 is a repetition. But the Lord said to him, go your way. Do as I have requested. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the God that we serve is long-suffering. The God that we serve is patient with his people. And God doesn't mind saying it again. You better say amen right there. God doesn't mind saying it or asking again. He doesn't mind saying it a third time, a fifth time, a tenth time, a hundredth time. God doesn't mind repeating himself Because he recognizes our insecurities. He recognizes the fallibility of our flesh. He recognizes that oftentimes we are consumed with an atmosphere of unbelief. And God will reiterate, God will repeat to give us the assurance that this request came from him. He repeats, go your way. And notice the response in verse 17. After God repeats himself, notice this, Ananias releases the divine request. I love the first three words of verse 17, and Ananias went. Hear me, now this is where a lot of us are. God's beckoning us onto the realm of the waters of risk. God is asking us, come out of routine, come out of safety, get out here in the realm of faith where I can do something supernatural with you. And we're, we're, we're there, we're there, we're there, we're right at the brink of breakthrough. We're right at the brink of seeing something supernatural occur, but we, we withhold and we don't act. Faith without works is dead. Don't sit around and talk about the supernatural power of the Spirit and never do anything. You see, it's one thing to have the theology. It's one thing to have the ideology. It's another thing to have the practice thereof. I can tell you that's what's going to convince a generation like this seated right in front of me. We can preach all of our theology and preach all of our ideology, and I believe there's power in the preached and proclaimed Word of God. But we also have to show them that we're not merely going to preach it. We're going to practice it. We're going to get out here and occupy the realm of risk. We're going to do something. Release it. Execute it. Do it. I said do it. The very first miracle of Jesus is a record of such that they run out of wine. I'm not here to talk about the wine. My God, I could talk about the wine, but I'm not here to talk about the wine. They run out of wine. They said, we don't have any wine. And the mother of Jesus says, I'll get you some wine. This is what she said to them, whatever he says. Whatever he requests, doesn't matter if it makes, come on saints, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. Come on, doesn't matter if it adds up or not. Doesn't matter if you believe it to be or not. Whatever he says, if you're convinced, whatever risk he asks you to take, just do it. The first miracle of Christ. Release, 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 release. I want to harp on that, release. 
regular people release into ministry. You want to see this church explode in growth. It will not explode in growth riding on the back of this man and this woman. It will not explode in growth riding on the back of this couple and the youth pastorate. It will explode in growth when each and every one of us recognizes that God has supernaturally empowered us to be witnesses to this world. And we begin to act on that and release into our own everyday lives the power of God. We release. Release. Now notice this. I'm almost done. Notice this. I'm going to close with an illustration here momentarily. He releases. And uh, because of his release, he receives a reward. Hallelujah. See, that's what risk really is. Risk is, is, is a calculated measure between danger and reward. My wife and I have money invested in the stock market. And it is a calculated risk between danger and reward. What reward did Ananias receive because he was committed to stepping out into the realm of risk? Here's the reward that he received. I told you a moment ago, the Bible doesn't say much about Ananias. But here's the other side of that coin. But the Bible does say something about Ananias. Oh, y'all didn't get that. The Bible doesn't say much, but the Bible does say something. His reward was that for time and eternity, his faith, his decision to step out and take a risk is forever recorded in the pages of this book. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the record of this book and the record of what Ananias did for the kingdom of God will never pass away. He is eternally rewarded because of what is recorded here in the book. Finally, he could have, and you can, Refuse to respond. You don't have to take a risk. Let me, let me just say this. Not only do you not have to take a risk, some of you won't respond to this message. Some of you will not take a risk. You just refuse. I'm not going to do that. Now let me tell you. What would have happened if Ananias had refused to take a risk? Let me tell you what would have happened. God would have replaced him. God would replace him. You hear me? If he had refused to do it, God would have found somebody to do it. Listen to me. God wants us, but doesn't necessarily need us. Y'all better catch that. There's a lot of preaching today that's more focused on our value than his value. God wants us, but doesn't necessarily need us. He's going to get accomplished what he wants accomplished with or without us. And he would have replaced him. But what I love about Ananias is he refused to be replaced. I said he refused to be replaced. He said, man, there's nobody going to get their name in that book but me. There's nobody they're going to talk about in Acts chapter 9 and 22 but me. You're not going to read about some guy named Joe or Jack or Harry or Don or Susie or Peggy. or, or No, you're going to read about Ananias. I refuse to be replaced. I am willing to take the risk to receive the reward. 
Just a few months ago, I shared this at our Christmas dinner with, with, with uh, Brother Roger and, and Debbie. Just a few months ago, as, I, as I've been navigating all of this, and God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? What, what do you mean, risk more for the kingdom? What does that mean? What are you requiring of me? I was preaching in, in Germantown, Ohio. Pastor James Setzer. Now, on Sunday night, we probably had, I don't know, 150, 200 people present on Sunday night. Preached, opened the altars, 100, 125 people in the altars, 30 minutes of altar ministry. It was just, it was powerful. And everyone had begun to stream back to their seats. I handed the, the, the microphone back to the pastor, to Brother Setzer. He was behind the pulpit. I stepped off to this side. I don't know why I always sit on the right side. I tell people I'm so conservative, I even sit on the right side of the sanctuary when I'm in church. I picked up my, my water bottle, as is my custom, and listen to me. I turned it to my lips, and when I did, I heard a voice. I don't mean an audible voice, an internal voice. And this is what the voice said, Jason. The voice said, Jason, go back and take that microphone from Pastor and call a woman out of the audience named Jan. You want to know what I did? I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. <laughs> I told you I'm just going to be transparent. Yeah. I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no. I drank a little more water. You want to know what the voice did? It repeated itself. I said it repeated itself. Said, I said, take the microphone and call out a woman named Jan. I said, God, don't make me do that. I said, this is the first time I've ever preached in this church, and I would like to preach here again in the future. Pastors never said a thing. It seemed like awkward silence. It seemed to me like an hour. It was probably 60 seconds. The voice said, take the microphone and call out a woman named Jan. With hesitancy, I went back. I said, Pastor, can I see that microphone? He handed it to me, and I was transparent with them. I mean, th this guy knows me. Pastor knows me. Pastor's getting to know me better. I, again, I am, I'm transparent to a fault. Like me, love me, or hate me, but you will, you'll know me. It's no, I don't throw a switch. Those of you here at the church know we've been here now for almost three years. I don't throw, I'm not something out here in the, in the pew and something different in the pulpit. I told those people, I said, I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. Now understand, I believe in the supernatural. It's not that I don't believe in this happening. I'm just wishing God would ask somebody else to do it, not me. You know why you're laughing? Because you wish God would ask somebody else to do it, not you. I'm talking about operating in the realm of risk. I said, this is, this is not my weekly thing. I'm not one of these guys that goes from church to church to church calling people out. And, and I said, but I, I just know I've heard from the Lord. And I said, the Lord said there's someone here who the root of your name is Jan. That's what I told them. The root of your name is Jan. It might be Janet, Janice, but the root of your name is Jan. And I need you to respond. You want to know what that 150, 200 people did? 
Nobody moved a muscle. At that point, I wanted to say, can anybody here tonight spell Jan? Come on. I wanted to say, Pastor, can you get me a ride to the airport tonight? I'm going to get an early ticket home. And then my human reason kicked in. You know, I'm going to start helping God now. I said, well, maybe your name's not Jan. Maybe you got a daughter named Jan, a, a daughter-in-law named Jan, a niece named Jan. Maybe you got a dog named Jan. And all of a sudden, in this section, second row, about right here, a little white-haired lady, she's about, the pastor says she's 81, I think. She, she hesitantly lifted her hand no higher than her shoulder, like this. And I mean, at that point, I'm like an auctioneer. Anything that moves, I'm going <laughs> to... I said, you! I said, what is it, sis? She said, my name is Janice. Now listen to me. Why couldn't Janice have taken all that pressure off of me and answered me the first time I called? <laughs> Hear me? But the answer to that is this. Why didn't I answer the voice the first time he called me to the microphone? Why don't you answer the first time he calls? I said, Janice... You're the lady. She stepped out. She came to the altar. God had a powerful word that was released over her life. It was like somebody hit this 81-year-old lady with a poleaxe. Pastor, I talked to him a few weeks ago. He said, you won't believe the change that has occurred in her life since that night. Now the Lord speaks to me a second time. Now, I, I mean, I got a little, I got a little, you know, I got a little spezzerankum now. Come on. It's, it's amazing how operating in the realm of faith, when, when something accomplishes, I mean, all of a sudden we get a little courage. And the Lord said to me the second time, he said, now I want you to say to everyone that remains, all of those that just had the thought flash across your mind, I wish the evangelist would call me by my first name like that, get to this altar. I said that, about eight to ten people raced to the altar, and it was like a spiritual bomb went off in that place crazy for about another 45 minutes to an hour powerful ministry taking place why have I said all of that as I close the message I said all of that to say this please don't take this as self-promoting it's not it's not meant to be I'm a good preacher I know I'm a good preacher I work hard at what I do to be a good communicator listen to me I'm comfortable behind this pulpit I'm comfortable preaching but you see God was beckoning me come on out of your comfort come on saints God was saying it's one thing to be a good preacher and communicator but come on out of your comfort if you really want to operate in the supernatural come on out here and take a risk come out here where you're not so comfortable and see what happens risk more for the sake of the kingdom stand with me all across this auditorium for just a moment will you lift your hands and lift your hearts I know we're just past the top of the hour pastor said don't worry about time we don't have an evening service it's customary that we go to about 1230 
Father, will you now come down and confirm the ministry of your word by the manifestation of your spirit. Lord, deliver us from redundancy. Deliver us from religious redundancy. Deliver us, oh God, from the same old, same old predictable Christian living. All across this building, I'm not going to ask for any uplifted hands, but we're going to open the altar and listen. Here's the request. Every man, woman, boy or girl that would say evangelist, I'm willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. I'm not, I don't know what God's going to ask you to risk. I don't know what vein God's going to ask you to step out in supernaturally. But if you're here today and you would say, Preacher, I'm willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. I want you to step to this altar right now. Come on, from all over this building. I'm willing to take a risk. Come on, I'm willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. I'm willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. I'm willing to take a risk. Come on, as they're coming, don't wait on somebody else. Come on. Step to this altar. Step to this altar. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to leave the harbor of safety to sail the uncharted waters of the supernatural. I'm willing to leave the harbor of safety to sail the uncharted waters of the supernatural. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, saints, lift your hands and worship Him just for a moment. I believe the supernatural realm is about to be manifested in this house. In Jesus' name. Come on, ready yourself to hear right now. I said ready yourself. Let your ears be open. He that has an ear, hear what the Spirit of God is requesting of you today. In Jesus' name. everybody to look at the evangelist right quick listen look at me right quick pastor asked me he said I want you to pray specifically for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time people to be rebaptized. but now let's listen 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 for just a minute I'm gonna come and pray for you listen we're gonna to begin to play and sing hear me we take we take things for granted in the Pentecostal church there are a lot of people that come into our services that they're not familiar with our with our DNA and I felt God challenging me recently. Listen, for some people, just getting to the altar was taking a risk. Just getting out of their seat and getting down front, I mean, that, that, is, that is not natural. And if you've done that, thank you for stepping that far this morning. Number two, we've got people that come out of all kinds of backgrounds or no church background at all, and, and, and it, they're real uncomfortable raising their hands. They're real uncomfortable clapping. They're, they're certainly uncomfortable vocalizing anything in church, and, and that's real risky. Listen, if that's as far as you can get today, my God, just get there. Just do something that, that's uncomfortable for you, that's risk. If, if you never lifted your hands, if that's all you get in this altar, I praise God for that. Whatever it is that you sense that's a challenge for you, just go a little further. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to, to arrive. I'm asking you just go a little further today than you've ever been before. Just go a little further. Hear me. 
for many of you. I wish I had time to, to delineate all the details of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But we believe in both the Assemblies of God and the Church of God, we believe that the first evidence that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in another language that you've never learned. That's what we believe. Now listen, that language is not the baptism. That language is just the evidence of the baptism. And for a lot of people that have been restrained from receiving, you just, I don't want to speak out. What, it's going to, it's going to sound foolish. What if I make a fool of myself? What if this and what if that and what if this? Here's my response to all of your questions. My God, open your mouth and take a risk. Just take a risk. I promise you, if you risk, you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. God's not a man that he should lie. You take a risk and God will honor that. You're rewarded. Come on, all across this building, lift your hands. Right now, whatever it is that God, the Holy Ghost, is asking you, just risk it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast here at Life Fellowship Church in Hearst, Texas. God is doing great things at our church, and we would like for you to be a part. Join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays at 645 p.m. Get connected with us through Facebook or our website at www.lifefellowshiphearst.org. Thank you, and God bless.